Let's take a seat. I want to go ahead and jump right into the Word. We'll spend some time praying at the end. Let's be James 1, 5 through 8 today. James 1, 5 through 8. Let me pray for the Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us, that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. All right, <clears throat> James 1, 5 through 8. And I want to begin this uh, by actually talking a little bit about last week, because if you want to get the text right, you got to understand the context. And so what was it that we learned last week? That our pain has a purpose, and that purpose is to work steadfastness, endurance, spiritual stick to within us. But one of the other things we learned about pain is that it can be disorienting, that suffering can be a dark tunnel, and we can question things about God, question things about ourselves, question things about the church. All kinds of questions can arise. <coughs> and so in order to navigate that dark tunnel, we need something. And the something that we need is where James leads us today. Let's look at it. If any of you lacks wisdom, <coughs> let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable <coughs> in all of his ways. And so when we talk about wisdom, we want to make sure that we understand that this is not simply information. It's not simply knowledge. We live in one of the most informed times in all of history because of the internet, and you don't need to spend more than 30 seconds on the internet to see that we are in a wisdom desert. And if you don't believe me, get on Facebook. And if you still don't believe me, you'll find some people on Facebook who'll be happy to fight with you about whether or not they have wisdom. But that's where we're at. <coughs> and in this context, the wisdom to which James was exhorting these people would have been particularly important because what was their situation? They were persecuted, driven from their homes, all kinds of trouble, <coughs> all kinds of uh, problems, lost their businesses. Some of them had seen family members caught off to jail, so on and so forth. It was just a heck of a time. And so James is giving them <coughs> this compass for living, if you will, this pathway for life that points them down the right path. And, and just to make sure we're all on the same page about what we're talking about here, let me give you a couple of definitions. A.T. Robertson calls wisdom the practical use of knowledge. F.J.A. Hort says it is the endowment of heart and mind which is needed for right conduct in life. And John Piper says wisdom must include a sensitive, mature judgment of how to honor God and <coughs> all of the circumstances not dealt specifically with in the Bible. So wisdom is <coughs> insight, prudence, discernment, understanding, and so on that we need to make life make sense and live skillfully in this world. A couple of images, uh, images that I think would help us here. One is this flashlight. Like I said, we're in the tunnel of suffering. 
We're in the tunnel of confusion in life on various topics. What do we do with money? What do we do with parenting? What do we do with how to navigate the modern workplace and all of the complexity there? Wisdom provides a flashlight for some of that. Uh, A more nautical understanding here, wisdom provides a compass that can help us uh, navigate the (coughs) stormy and confusing seas of life. And again, I think the context is key to understanding this because I think built out of this text, it begins with suffering and trying to make sense of that, but it certainly plays in all areas of life. But the second thing that we need to understand about this is where wisdom comes from. Look back in your text. It says, (coughs) if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So the wisdom we need comes from God. Now, he may provide it through uh, wise teachers. He may provide it through a business book that can help us out. But at the end of the day, all truth is God's truth, and he is the source of this. And this is not uh, a surprise because this is what the rest of the scriptures say. What, what does Proverbs say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You also see this over in Job 28, 28. <clears throat> and God said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And so God is the source of the wisdom that we need, but also look how he gives it. Look at the rest of verse 5. Let him ask God who gives generously to all. And the picture there (coughs) is very important for us to understand. Because a lot of times, how do we picture God in our minds when we suffer? We picture God as standing up there looking down at us in our trial If he's even paying attention, that's one of the lies that the devil tells us, we can look at him and think that he's looking at us and saying, these people, they've been through this kind of thing before. Why are they questioning me? Do they not remember the verses that their pastors taught them? Do they not think about all the times I've delivered them before? Shame, shame, shame. But what the Bible describes here in verse 5 is exactly the opposite. It says God who gives (coughs) generously to all. And so the picture here is exactly the opposite of what we have. And we need to look no further than John 3.16 to remind us of the generosity of God. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the picture of God is not in heaven shaking his head, wondering why we can't get our act together. But it's exactly the opposite. It's a loving father with deep and great concern for his children that is beckoning us to come and to ask for his help so that he might give generously that wisdom that we so much need. And then he goes even further here and he says, (coughs) he gives it generously without reproach. So there's never this belittling, there's never this demeaning, there's never this, I wish they'd get their act together. It's much more of a, a so, I, I'm so glad you asked, here it comes. Here's the wisdom that you need. So let's stop and ask a few application questions here. First of all, do we know where the wisdom resides that we most need? It's not simply at Barnes & Noble. It is in the book of God and the person of God. Do we know that? Do we turn to it 
in times of need. <coughs> Second, do we have the right picture of the posture of God that is toward us and not against us in Christ? If we do, we're going to be much more apt to go to him in our time of need. If we don't, we need to have this passage correct <coughs> our thinking. And finally, when's the last time we stopped and marveled and worshipped that the God of the universe invites us to come and ask for his help, that he will give us wisdom generously, without reproach, with no judgment, because that judgment has been poured upon Christ. So these trials, these struggles, they are opportunities to, to strengthen our fellowship with God, to strengthen our inner core of spirituality and growing in the stick that we learned last week. But there are also opportunities <coughs> for us to grow in the wisdom that God provides. But there is a certain way that God wants us to ask for it. Let's pick it up in verse 6. It says, <coughs> But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts <coughs> is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the third thing about wisdom here is that we receive it by praying in faith. But I want to clean this up here because there's so much bad teaching out here on this topic, and it leaves Christians so discouraged because many of us along the way somewhere or have been taught or have at least heard that praying in faith means that we have to be 100% convinced that whatever our desired circumstance is, that it's going to work out. And if we don't have that full confidence that it's going to work out, well, then that's not praying in faith. So what does that create on the other side of that? Because what is all of our experiential reality? Every one of us in this room <coughs> have had somebody that we prayed for. We asked that God would heal them, and they got sick, and they died anyway. Or we had a situation where we came to something, and it was like, we need this to happen, and, and God just had a different plan. We prayed for a different job, and then we ended up losing the job that we had. We, we all have these situations, and then it can make you go, oh, my goodness, I guess I'm just a big failure. I guess I didn't have enough faith. I guess I didn't pray in faith, and that's why God didn't answer. But that's not what James is talking about here. <coughs> when he uses this language here, let him ask in faith <coughs> with no doubting, what he's talking about here is full confidence in the character of God, not full confidence that the circumstance is going to work out, but full confidence in the character of God. Do you see that difference? Doesn't that suck a little bit of the discouragement out of your life and out of your prayers? Doesn't that just evaporate some of the fear that maybe you just didn't put the spiritual equation together just right, or maybe you put some of the, the words in the prayer that, that you got them in the wrong order and that's why it didn't happen? The full confidence that we need here is not in the circumstance, but in the one who is Lord over all circumstances. It's in the character of God. That is who <coughs> we have to have full confidence in. Now, does that mean that we don't pray and ask that God would heal? Absolutely not. We've been praying for me for more than a year. We pray, but we also pray knowing that we don't know exactly what God's going to do, but I have no question 
that God is able to do whatever needs to be done. And that distinction matters. Because I've been doing this long enough that I have literally seen people walk away from Jesus because he didn't do what they wanted in the timeline that they wanted it. And there's no way (coughs) that James would say something here that would contradict the rest of what the Bible says. (coughs) So when he talks about the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea (coughs) that is driven and tossed by the wind, he's not talking about the person that is like all of us that has sometimes when we're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun, and sometimes we don't even know where our Bible's at. Like, that, that, that's where we all are. We, we want to be consistent, but even at our most consistent, we still have those moments. We fumble the football. We all are Tom Brady who, uh, announcing his retirement or not at times. We're all that person spiritually. <coughs> and so Jesus, he, we're a lot more like the guy in Mark chapter 9 who comes to Jesus and says, listen, I believe, help my unbelief. That's who we are. And so when he says, (coughs) the one who doubts, he's talking about, um, really, verse 8, he really describes it a little further. He is a double-minded man, (coughs) unstable in all of his ways. Uh, John Bunyan calls that Mr. Facing Both Ways. Uh, You can tell I I grew up on a lot of comic books. The person I think of here is Two-Face from the Batman comics. And even if you never read a comic book, you probably saw that movie with, uh, who was it, Tommy Lee Jones. This is making me feel super old. Some of you probably weren't even alive when this movie was made. I think it was in the 90s. But anyway, uh, he's a guy who, like, on one side of his face, he's, you know, like a lawyer and pretty put together. And on the other side, he's a murderous criminal, right? And so he has this coin that he flips, and he decides if he's going to be the good lawyer or the murderous criminal. And so Batman, because he always wins eventually, has to, you know, he's in this endless struggle of wrapping this guy up and taking him off to Arkham Asylum and so on. And so (coughs) the point is, we don't want to be that person spiritually any more than we naturally already are. Because (coughs) we don't want to, what what he's saying here is, you don't want to be the person who's like, God can do this. God has no power. God can help me. God hates me and is trying to kill me. God can help me and my family. He's got the wisdom I need. God knows nothing. That's what we want to avoid. Because if we get into that kind of cycle, (coughs) well, then we're really not (coughs) going to God and trusting him in the first place. So we want to be fully convinced, fully committed, and we want to stay on that path. And so I think what that raises up within us is, okay, knowing that we aren't going to be perfect, knowing there's going to be these natural ups and downs and so on, how can I point myself in the direction and the trajectory where we have as much, to use my Batman analogy, good lawyer Harvey Dent and as little murderous criminal as possible? And I want to give you three things. I think the first one, (coughs) most holistic, is to walk closely with Jesus. And that may sound as obvious as the nose on your face, but... That's probably the hardest one, but it's the most fundamental. <clears throat> and so that begins by becoming a Christian, of course. And if you're here and you wonder where you stand in relationship to your relationship with God, then we need to talk about that. This is a community where we don't judge, we don't make assumptions. We want to sort this out. 
and we want to help you wherever you are with whatever questions you have. (laughs) But once you are in a place where you've turned from your sins and trusted in Christ and are walking with Him, you begin to realize that wisdom isn't simply the compass that you need to navigate suffering and other cloudy decisions. Wisdom is a person. In fact, <clears throat> that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But to those who are called, <clears throat> both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Jesus is the wisdom that we need. And this makes sense, because who was the wisest man that ever lived? Jesus. And he always knew what to do. <clears throat> and even in those times where we see him praying and asking, That is providing a model for us of exactly what we need to be about. So the first thing we need to do to get the wisdom we need is walk closely with this Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, we do the things that we know we need to do. We prioritize Sundays. We prioritize listening or watching if we have to miss on Sunday because there's something supernatural that happens when we sit under the Word. This is not just me talking and sharing my opinions. This is me sharing what God has said for us that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And listen, if, if it can help people that were in intense persecution and have been scattered from their homes, if it can help them on their journey, it can certainly help us. It can help us point ourselves in the direction that we need to go. So prioritizing Sunday, prioritizing the hearing of the Word and all of its forms, it's really important in helping us in our relationship with Jesus. But then beyond that, taking advantage of all the other things that that the church, capital C and lowercase c, has to offer. Being in a relationship <coughs> with other Christians, being with um, other people through books and podcasts and so on to be able to continue to cultivate that relationship with God. Other obvious things like prayer. I mean, you would think for as uh, important as it is, we'd be better at it. And we'd be more consistent with it. But every single one of us, we need reminders on the regular. Hey, don't forget, you don't have to figure this out on your own. You can go to the Cosmic Help Desk at any time because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and ask for his help. And what do we know here? He's not against you. He's for you. He's not up there shaking his head. He's there shaking his hand, saying, come on in. Come on in. Let me help you and give you what you need. The closer we walk with Jesus, the more quick and ready access we're going to have to the wisdom we need. To use a little nerdy analogy here, all computers are not created equal. I don't know if you know this. Some have very fast processors and can accomplish tasks very quickly, and some, it's like there's fat hamsters delivering files back and forth, and they've got arthritis and maybe some breathing problems. I've used some computers that I was like, I literally could have done this quicker myself with a pencil or on the side of a cave with a piece of chalk. (coughs) But the closer we walk (coughs) with Jesus, the quicker that processor becomes and the more quick we are to walk to him. Second thing I would say, <clears throat> walk with the wise. And I mean this in the sense of Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions uh, or the companion of fools suffers harm. That is uh, one of my favorite verses to share 
with student groups. Because if you think about some of the biggest bonehead decisions that you've made along the way, it might have been because you were in a group of other bonehead decision makers. And I think of some of the stuff I did in college that I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Well, the answer is I wasn't thinking because I was following the herd and the herd were idiots. But if you walk with the wise, you become wise. But if you're a companion of fools, well, it's just a matter of time till you suffer harm. One way that I like to explain it to students, it also works for adults. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. Now, I didn't come up with that. I don't remember exactly who did, but that is such a true statement. And I remember I was actually, I was reading this business book the other day and there's a concept that is widely circulating in the business community now that basically who you are is kind of the sum total or the aggregate of the five people you spend the most time with. And there's a lot of truth in that. So all the stay-at-home moms are like, oh my gosh, I'm becoming a four-year-old. This is not good. I knew there were trouble. knew there was problems. That's not what I mean. But what I do mean is we are heavily influenced by the people around us. So if they're making bad decisions, you're going to be more tempted to make bad decisions. They're spending more money than they ought to be spending. Guess what? You're probably going to be spending more money than you ought to be spending. So we need to be careful in who and how we associate uh, because we want to be on the path of wisdom. So if it starts with walking closely with Jesus and then it moves to walk closely with wise people, that's really going to help. And let me say, this is, a, this is an area where I think... The culture of our church provides a really great opportunity for this to go the right way. And what I mean by that is uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we had to switch cars. That's a long, crazy story. But we traded one out, got a uh, new, cheaper one, and, and just figuring a bunch of stuff out. And it was very comforting for me to be able to know, hey, I got people in my life that know a lot more about cars and all this stuff that, that I can call and ask questions, and so on and so forth. And just to know that I had that resource was such a help. And I know that lots of people in the world, they don't have that resource. Because you look at all the pandemic stats of loneliness and where people's heads are, and that, that so many people, it was a ridiculous percentage. I can't remember exactly what it was. But so many people said that through this pandemic, they don't have a single close friend but one of the gifts that God has given us here is we have, a, like, the culture here is if you need to ask somebody something, ask them. Like, we're, we're not playing church and trying to pretend like everybody's got it together. We are all people in need of God and in need of wisdom, and we need to lean on and help and encourage each other uh, as best we can in both the things that are very obviously spiritual, but also in the practical and mundane areas of life. And that's a really important way that we can walk in what James is talking about here. And let me say one last thing here as well. So if, if you start applying this, walking closely with Jesus, walking with the wise, let, let me give you this one. It's kind of a two-in-one. Learn to pray and pause and ask this question. Learn to pray and pause and ask this question. And the question is, what is the wise choice in this situation. So if you think of it like this, we're walking through life, 
particularly in times of suffering. That's what James is talking about here. You come to kind of a fork in the road and you say, okay, I don't know what to do here. I could do this or this, and then sometimes there's six or eight options. Just to, to stop and take a step back and just pray and ask, Lord, what is the wise choice in this situation? It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get it exactly right, but I guarantee you, you're going to get it less wrong because what you're doing there is, is you're acknowledging your own finitude as you stand before the one who is infinite. You're acknowledging your own, I don't know what to do here, in front of the one who always knows what to do everywhere. And then the practicality of what is the wise choice in this situation, goodness, think about all the ways that can benefit your children. Think about if you're helping your aging parents manage their finances in the, the back half of their life or whatever you got going on, if, if they will ask that question, you think about all the complexity, let's say you're in some kind of management role at the office and you're trying to figure out what do I do with this employee and this, this one, this one can't get along and all this. Just asking that question, what is the wise choice here? The fact that you had to stop, the fact that you prayed, and the fact that you asked that, what a help that's going to be in that moment. But you know the way that helps you the most? It's not just with the decision. It's in connecting you with the divine. Because when you do face your finitude, and then you see his infiniteness, and when you do face your, I don't know what to do, but he always knows what to do, that puts you in a place of humility. And what does the Bible teach us? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God's help always flows down to that lowest place. And if we're in a place where we're just acknowledging our need, oh friends, we are in a wonderful place for the help and the divine intervention where we will then see what only God can do. Because it's nothing to him. He can do anything. And when you look at Jesus and the greatness of who he is, and not just what he can do in these situations, but what he has done in the ultimate situation, the ultimate conundrum that needed the ultimate wisdom, and you see his success, Oh, friends, we can handle all kinds of failure because he has succeeded in the ultimate way. He was successful where we failed. He is perfect where we are not perfect. And when we know the posture of God that we see in this passage, that, that, that he is toward us and for us in Christ and he is beckoning us to come, friends, we are drawn to him like a moth to a flame. So what is the wise choice in this situation? It's always to turn to Christ. He is the power and the wisdom of God. So let me close by asking this question. Where do you most need God's wisdom today? Where do you most need God's wisdom today? Where do you need his help? Where do you need his healing? Where do you need to see what only he can do? And I guarantee you, wherever that is, he will meet you there. Let's spend a little time praying about those things now. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for James, for his faithful example, and also his very practical counsel that points us to Christ. Lord, we want to be fully and finally convinced in who you are and your ability to help. We know our circumstances are not always going to work out the way that we want them to. The world is irreparably broken at this point. But we want to be convinced of who you are. And so, Lord, I want to pray that we would be faithful to do our part in making that happen. We know you're going to do yours. But we want to pray that we would be faithful to walk closely with you. To walk away from, to repent of those things that would try to hijack that from happening. We want to pray that we would humble ourselves and ask for the help of those around us in this community. And Lord, we want to pray that we would get in the habit of pausing and praying and saying, what's a wise choice in this situation, whatever it is. But Lord, most of all, we want to pray that we would see and feel and know the comfort of Jesus in this entire process. And Lord, I pray that that would happen even now, that with the specific burdens that we all carried in here this morning, that, that you would be ministering to our hearts even now. That you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us insight, that you'd give us provision, that you'd put people in our paths this week, supernaturally, that would remind us of your care for us. And Lord, surely there are some that are deeply struggling this morning. And I pray that you would especially do this in their lives. That today would serve as another log on the proverbial fire that would warm their hearts to remind them that the Bible really is true. That you really are real. That you really do care. And that you give generously without reproach. And we know that. Because we've seen it at Calvary. And so, Lord, for those who are struggling the most, if they can't remember anything else, I pray they would remember Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've spent together in your word. We pray that you would cause it to bear much fruit within us and in our conversations this week. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.